Okay, hello everyone, uh, welcome. We have an exciting public shoot tonight. We're going to be exploring the fund, fund, fundamental uh, concept of Batal Bishishim. Uh, we have with us Rabbi Amram Nemeth, uh, our speaker. Rabbi Amram Nemeth was brought up in Golders Green, London, and went to the, on to study in Gates at Yeshiva and then in Israel. After receiving Samicha, he worked closely with Rabbi Abraham Levy, Alava Shalom, at Naima JPS and the Montefiore College. As some of you may already know, Rabbi Abraham Levy was a key figure in the formation of the Chabura. Rabbi Nemeth is currently the head of Jewish studies at Naima JPS and Rosh Bet Midrash of the Jewish Learning Exchange in London. He has already given a class to some of the Chabura Talmidim in London on the Sunday night program, but he's here today to give a public shiur on our international online program. Uh, whether you're at the 10% uh, who join us live or the 90% who watch the recording, thank you for being here. Uh, Rabbi Nemeth, thank you so much for your time, and the floor is yours. Okay, sure. Hi. So, good evening, everyone. It's nice to um, give this share. I do prefer live. I do find this fairly difficult. It just harkens back to those 2020 days where people were struggling with Zoom and mute and share screen and can you hear me? But I guess, you know, it's it's it's, it's better than nothing. It's very nice to see you all. Thank you for the lovely introduction. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. I... Uh, I taught you, yeah, I did teach in the Montefiore for many years. I guess I do remember the initial stages of the, the Habura and the meetings. And um, I, uh, I'm not Sephardi at all by any stretch. My wife is a quarter Moroccan. I think that's the closest I get. And um, as well as, but, you know, I, I guess I can share a bit of Torah together. I was just yesterday in um, the Montefiore Shul in Ramsgate, where he's buried together with his wife. I did a little tour there because that was for Shabbat in Kent. And uh, so I guess that got me in the Spanish and Portuguese mood slightly. And um, there was just, I just pointed out for the first, I've given a tours there over the years, but I think for the first time I pointed out to the people, the clock outside the synagogue, if you've seen it, which says time flies, but virtue alone remains, which uh, which does reflect, I guess, the life of Montefiore, who retired early to spend his life helping the Jewish people, and also reflects us here tonight, I guess, we're on more substantial p- pursuits of learning Torah together rather than doing other things that we could do. Okay, so the subject, which I'm going to share the screen with you in a minute, is, is the number of 60 and where that comes from. And um, when Sina asked me to do this, I think, what I thought in my head I would do and I've done is to clarify the common mistakes that people always ask between the rules of Betel and between the rules of 60. And I think there's a lot of confusion between the two. And we'll go through the basic sources in inside the sheets. And as well as that, we'll discuss when the rules of 60 and when the rules of Betel don't apply. So just before we share the sheets and we get bogged down with text, you should understand that things that are forbidden become permitted when they are in a mixture. Things don't remain forbidden forever, which goes beyond the rules of safek. Safek means you're uncertain. And if you're uncertain, then something becomes permitted. Bittle is a slightly different rule. Bittle means if you're in a mixture and unrecognizable, then you become permitted. And unrecognizable is more of the key. If I've got three pieces of meat in my house, one in the attic and two in the lounge, where I've got three pieces of meat for the sake of this share, the same size, and they're all in a pot and two of them are kosher and one of them are non-kosher, that's the rule of bitol, the rule that the majority trumps and the majority rules. And you'll find that rule, just, just think of this, get, get yourself into this slightly before we start with the Gemaras, you'll find this rule everywhere. But not to be confused, although it's similar to Ruboy Kekuloi. If you've done most, it's as if you've done all. For example, when you shecht an animal and you do shechita on an animal and you slaughter most of the pipe, it's as if you've slaughtered all of it. Or similarly, if you're davening shachar, most people don't know this, but if you're davening with a minion and the minion has left, in the middle of Chazar Sashat, people have gone to the bathroom, have gone on, off to work. If you're left with Rive, if you're left with six of the minion, then so to speak, the Shechina could be contained in that. And that's Rubai Kakulai. Most of it is like all of it. That's not what we're discussing tonight at all. We're discussing a different concept. We're discussing firstly a concept of Bittel. Bittel means you have three pieces 
Two of them are kosher, one's non-kosher. Because the majority is kosher, everything becomes completely permitted. Even according to the Rosh, it, the, the non-kosher food turns into something permitted. It's nishapech, which means it turns and it changes into become mutar. That's what we're going to discuss tonight. And we're going to go a stage further and discuss what happens if it's cooked together and how you get out of this so-called problem of non-kosher taste. And we'll see the essence and the source of 60. So let's go. Okay, on, on source one, we have the last three words of the Pasuk of Acharei Rabim Lahatot, which means, it's a drasha, which means it's not 100% clear in the Pasuk that it's referring to this, but in Sanhedrin and other places that we favor the majority. Look at the source two. Minaha Milta. How do we know in the yellow line? Do Amora Banan, that the rabbis say, Zil Basa Ruba. That we go after the majority. How do we know? Because it's written, you should turn towards the majority in a Sanhedrin, in a court, and in this instance, in a mixture. And that means if you have three pieces, two are kosher, one's one's non-kosher, then everything becomes permitted. That's as simple as it gets. But that's classically referred to as something called Yavish by Yavish, which means they're not cooked together. So far, we're nowhere near the concept yet of 60. 60 is very similar to majority, because it looks like it's just above 50. But remember, we aren't discussing that at all. You don't need to have 60 when pieces are dry and not cooked together. And when the taste hasn't left one piece, so to speak, and entered into another piece with heat, with a medium of heat, or with a medium of salt. You don't need that. All you need is the majority. Once you have a majority that you have two versus one, everything is permitted. All you'll see is the Rishonim debate as to how you should eat this. Do we, see, do we say, so to speak, the non-kosher meat has become cleansed, and you, may, you can eat it however you like? Or do we say no, that whilst it's in this state of majority, we could be more lenient and eat it in a certain way? Look at the Shulchan Aruch, 109.1, which is the bitul of two pieces. Chaticha she'ina ru'uya lehitchabet. A chaticha, a piece that's not fitting to be served, which means it's not an honorable piece, which means it will fit into the rules of bitul. Shenit arva ba'achirat which was mixed with others. Min bemina, type with type. Yavesh biyavesh, dry with dry. Dahainu, which means, she'ein nivlau, it's not mixed up, v'ha'isor omed ba'atzma, and the isor is standing by itself. Elashanit arev, only it's mixed, ve'ein makira, and you can't recognize it. Because something unrecognizable is the key to bittal in the Torah. If you can recognize something, if you can identify something, it's not bottle, it's not nullified anymore. What makes something nullified is its lack of identity. If you can taste non-kosher food, maybe you don't have a bittal anymore because now you can identify it. Think of it, it's such an obvious question. You've got three pieces. But what connects these three pieces together? Why does one piece have to do with the other piece and the other piece? Why, you know, why not? Why aren't all the pieces in the world of meat connected? The answer is, is that you own a few of these pieces and you know one of them is kosher, one's non-kosher, and you're uncertain as to which one is which. So you have a few pieces. You have a knowledge of roughly where they are. And also, you can't identify within this mixture which one is kosher and which one is not kosher. Therefore, you've got it. You now have bitter. But the key would be a few pieces that you own, but you can't identify the trait. A lack of identity amongst others creates a bitter. Let's read through that again before we get to time. 
Katicha that can become nullified. It's not an honorable piece because we discuss pieces that can never become nullified. Shenet arva that are mixed into others. Min bemina, type with type. Now, there's some people will say that when you've got type with type, it never becomes batel. Because bitel is some sort of force where the non-kosher or the kosher, uh, if it's stronger, fights over the smaller minority, wins it over and changes it. We don't say that. We say type with type can become batel. Yavesh yavesh. You're not cooking it together. It's not mixed. Flour is debatable. And the isur is standing by itself. It's mixed. What does that mean? You don't recognize it. That's an introduction to a bitel. Chad betray bottle. The last three words of the third line in source three. One in two is nullified. And one person can eat it. Says the Mechaber, the Shulchan Aruch, each one by itself. Don't eat all three together. And that's because we don't say that the bittel has made it completely okay to eat however you like. We say the bittel has mitigated the safek and made it easier to, to deal with. But that's irrelevant for now because it's a different shiur in itself as to what's the mechanics of bittel. Does it change the actual non-kosher piece to become kosher? Or does it tell you to deal differently with the halachat of safek? That's also a nice share to give, but it's not tonight because we want to get to 60. Well, what you need to know, in order to carry on, maybe you know this already, but if you don't, you need to understand that one, two against one, three pieces, let's say they're all the same size, just to um, minimize other questions that can come up in terms of size and weight as to how bitul works. Imagine three pieces the same size. You don't know which one's kosher, which one's not kosher. And because you can't identify this non-kosher piece, it becomes completely batel. And that's all you need. If it's min be'ena if it's type with different types, for example, you have maybe a few pieces together of one type of animal with another, with another type of animal, you don't know which is kosher, which is non-kosher, you may need to have 60 because of a rabbinical rule. But strictly speaking, it will be the same. In, according to the Torah, as long as it's dry, all you need is a majority. Now think about it before we get further and it gets more complicated. A majority is much, much less than 60, right? It's far, far less. 60 is going to be a far higher ratio of heter that you're going to need inside your mixture. But the moment when it's dry, you don't need to come onto that at all. Now look at source four. When you have something that tastes non-kosher, does that make it forbidden? It's not obvious. It's obvious to us because we're living, after all, everything is written down, I guess, and we have so many halachot. It's obvious to us that you can't use a non-kosher pot, and it's obvious to us that if something has, was touching other food when it was hot, because we know that halacha may be very well, then it's obvious to us that it would be non-kosher. But it's not obvious to the rabbis because they needed to look for Sukim to prove that it wasn't kosher. And it's not obvious that if you have two a pot of food that was cooked together and some of it was kosher and some of it was non-kosher, and because it was under because it was heated up, the taste transferred from one to another, it's not obvious that when the taste went into the kosher, that kosher piece becomes a soul. Maybe I need to have the actual substance and piece of Isso itself to make it non-kosher and to make it forbidden. But if just if, if a residue or a taste has gone into my piece of kosher food, maybe that's permitted. And actually, Rashi and maybe the Rambam says that is permitted. And the rabbis were the ones that forbade it. So get into the mindset of understanding that it's not obvious that if something has a taste of non-kosher food without it being the substance of non-kosher food, that it's forbidden. But the rabbi said it is. And they said that there's various sources and psukim in the Torah that can prove this, that it is forbidden. The first one is the, the Pazak talks about mishrat anavim, which means a bread soaked with wine. And the bread is forbidden even though it's soaked with wine even though the wine is not necessarily here. 
It's the substance of wine, but it's not the wine itself. The wine has become secondary to another food. It's become secondary to the bread. The Gemara here brings another example. Litain tam ke'ikar. How would we know about tam ke'ikar? Shem shara anavim b'mayim. If you soak grapes in water, v'yeshpehem tam yain, they have a taste of wine, chayev, you're obligated. Mikan atadan l'chol ha-torah kula. And from here we see to all the other commandments or isurim in the Torah, if you have taste, that's enough. That I always Rabbi, find a hard one to understand, but there are much Rabbi, easier ones to get into. Can you, can, can you please zoom in a little bit on the source sheet? Yeah, it's a little sure. bit hard to hear. Yeah, it's a little bit hard to see it. Thank you. One sec, let me just... Um... I'm not sure how to do it. Maybe I'll just make this bigger on here. Is that better? Yeah. A little bit, yeah. Not really. It's still unclear? It's good. You can always press the view the option on top, I think. And perhaps Me or yeah. everyone else. You on, on your on your on your Word document. If you go to View on the menu, yeah, exactly. You might be able to go to Zoom on the right. There you go. I think might be wrong. That's too much. Thank you. Oh, there we go. No, that's excellent. That's much better. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I could have done this on the PDF, I guess. As I said, I'm out of this whole Zoom thing. I'm sorry. I used to be quite good at it in my day, but I've lost it. You know, they said the whole world would change after COVID. It's not true. I've forgotten this stuff. But anyway, all right. So there's a much easier one. Rabbi Kiva Look at the yellow line. How do we know Tam Ke'ika? Yalef mi We know that meat and milk is forbidden. Now, when the milk has entered into the meat, that's not anymore. The milk doesn't have its own sort of identity. It's become part of the meat. And that's inherently the prohibition of meat and milk, and you only ever have the taste of one in another, which is causing the meat to become forbidden. And so from there we see that taste is a thing, and taste is forbidden. And even if you don't have the entity itself, even if the forbidden substance is not in and of itself without anything else, become part of something else, it's not even identified maybe by sight because it's part of something else, it's still forbidden. Because if it tastes of non-kosher, it is non-kosher. The taste, you could argue, says Rabbi Khanan, determines what the piece is. If it tastes non-kosher, that's changed the status of this piece and it becomes non-kosher. And the final example the Gemara brings is Ge'ule Goyim. We know in Midian, the, the, in the desert, the, when the Jews had the, the utensils from the non-Jewish people, from the Midianites, they had to purge them. And that's a cash of them. And that's how we know all the rules of Hagalat Kalim, of purging utensils that we have nowadays. Well, why do they have to do that? Just clean it with cold water. Why do they have to take the metal? What, what came through fire goes through fire. What goes through what came through water should come out through water. What was inside the utensil? It was taste, a very weak taste. You can even differentiate between milk that's a neat to this kind of taste. And we do that a lot in the Gemara over here. We, do, we differentiate between different kinds of taste. But if, for the purpose of this shit, it's irrelevant. In all of these cases, I don't have the Isur itself. The Isur has become part of something else. Think of the Geole Goyim. Think of the purging and, of, and the Haganas Kalim that they had to do in Midian. What were they doing? What was the point of doing it? Because inside the utensils on the side, there was a non-kosher taste. That's all it was. There wasn't pieces of meat inside the pot. So they captured, they had all these new utensils to deal with, gold, silver, metals, whatever it was made of, and they brought it. What does Masha tell them? You got what, what was used as a spit on a barbecue has to be purged through fire, and what was used through water has to be purged through water. Well, why do they have to do that? Because of taste. And taste is the thing. But now that's a whole new world. That's something we've never discussed before. Earlier on, I discussed with you the concept of Rav. The concept of Rav means if you have mostly Heta, 
you have mostly pieces that are kosher and a minority, less than uh, maybe a 49% of non-kosher is permitted. But now you have to differentiate and you enter into a whole new territory called taste. Well, how do you get rid of taste? Do you get rid of taste with majority as well? How could that be? Why would majority, if the problem is that you're tasting the Issa and therefore it's recognizable, why would majority make a difference over here? It wouldn't. We need a new set of criteria to determine how to determine whether the pot or the food or the mixture is kosher. The fact that you have a majority seems to be irrelevant because it doesn't seem to be we're talking about size anymore. It seems to be we're talking about taste. The rabbis have introduced us to loads of sukkim telling us, hey, if you taste something, but it's not identifiable for it itself, it's forbidden. Okay, that's really interesting. I didn't know that before. How are you going to capture that? How are you going to determine whether now something is kosher? Well, majority we know. No, because majority specifically talks to a scenario with, which is dry pieces. You have a majority of pieces, and we say that's kosher. Here, you can actually taste the non-kosher taste everywhere. That's a problem, say the rabbis. In all over this mixture, you could taste something non-kosher. That's not going to go into bitol. Bitol is when you can't taste anything and you can't recognize isor at all. It's dry. I don't know which piece is which, which was shechted, which wasn't shechted, which was a nevela and which was a kasher. Now I'm dealing with taste. Now with taste, if I've got to get rid of taste, tell me what to do and tell me how to get rid of it. And don't tell me that bitul works, because bitul works when there's no taste. Bitul is a rule of majority. Here I've got a very different problem. I can identify this isor everywhere. So my bitul, so to speak, says the Rajbah, I say many others, has been ruined. Because I introduced the shir by saying bitul is usually a lack of identity. Here the is is identified everywhere. You can't say it's batel. All these, I mean, if you disagree with anything that I'm saying, each of these points is hotly debated, yes or no. But for the purposes of the hour that we have, and to get to a point of a halakha, I'm going to take one view of the Rishonim generally. So we start off by saying there's dry pieces. Dry pieces, we said in source three, all you need is a majority. It's 51%. 51%, then you're fine. Then we introduced a new concept called taste. In a mixture, if you have taste, the whole mixture is forbidden. And now the rabbis look for a new way to kosher taste or to determine when a mixture will still be kosher if it tastes non-kosher. And that's when we enter into the rules of 60. And what you have to consider, I think, at this point, when you want to understand about the rules of 60, I think everyone's heard of 60, I'm guessing, right? So 60 means that you have to have a ratio, generally speaking, of 1 to 60 in order for taste to be permitted. And before I carry on and bog you down with the details, all it means is if, if someone pours in a little bit of milk into a pot of meat, by mistake, let's say, so you don't go into problems of bitul, which means you can't intentionally cause a bitul to happen. But if you take a little bit of milk and put it inside meat, you're okay. Why? Because usually you've got a big pot of soup or of chamim or of chalid, you have a tiny bit of milk, if there's a ratio of one to 60. The 60 times meat ratio to this one little piece of milk, and therefore it's permitted. But I want to just discuss, what is that rule of 60? Does every pot has to have 60? Is 60 very similar to the rule of Bittul? Bittul was majority. Here there's a ratio of 1 to 60. They're both binary figures or numbers that you have to reach. And if you don't reach them, then your mixtures are still forbidden. It's just a very different one. There's a 60 rule for taste. And there's a majority, and that has a source in the Torah, as we'll see. And there's a majority rule for two pieces. That's the simplest way to understand. That's how Rashi understands. And therefore, if you ever have a mixture that's less than 60, and the, the mixture is cooked with kosher and non-kosher together, 
or a bit of milk together with meat, then it's all forbidden. Or is maybe this elimination of taste nothing really to do with 60, and 60 is just an idea. 60 is just an ideal. How would you understand that? Is it 60 is something you can, um, sorry, to get rid of taste is something you can maybe decide yourself. Rav, you can't decide yourself. A majority, you can't decide yourself. It's not up to you. Whereas taste and determining taste, is that also something you can't decide yourself? And it's strictly very mathematical. And it looks like from the Gemara that it is. It's just the new, the new age, new kind of Roy. When you get to taste, I'm not anymore looking for this 51% number. I'm going to go for a different amount of a ratio of 1 to 60. Irrelevant maybe of whether I can now taste it or not. Irrelevant of whether I taste it and there's 1 to 40. And I put it into my mouth or I ask a non-Jewish person to do that and he can't taste it. I've got to get to 60. Once taste spread around, once there was a presence of this taste all around the mixture, I've got to get rid of it 1 to 60. It's a very binary, exact figure. And that's not how we understand. And 60 is an idea. 60 is not a definite. And I'll prove it to you. From the Gemara, it's so much easier to understand like that. Just think before we go on, we're moving away from the We're moving into getting rid of taste. It's a very different set of rules. It needs 1 to 60. Is 1 to 60 an idea? Is 1 to 60 a must? Is it recommended you go to 60? Or do you have to go to 60 if not everything's forbidden from the Torah? Look at the blue. Thank you for that Zoom. It's much clearer now. It's clearer for myself as well. I would read it Bakafra. All Isurim in the Torah are 60. Rebbe, can you really say that? You have to eliminate taste if it's mixed together with a hundred. All right, that's a nice debate. I guess sixty or a hundred. We haven't necessarily heard of a hundred, but then maybe we pass again that it's sixty. That's just interesting. There's two views. One expressed is that you eliminate taste with 60, and one expressed is that you eliminate taste with 100. They both take their ideas and their learning from the halachas of Zroya B'Shela, because it's written, I'm going to explain, and we learned, B'Shela ain't B'Shela Ela Shlema. Rabbi Shimon Ben-Yachai what it's only cooked, it's only the word Bashali refers to when it's being cooked with the ayah. Now, I want to show you a Rashi and then I'm going to go back to explain what's going on. Zerua. Zerua shall ayah, noze, who, who, I'm just going to close the door one sec. Sorry, I guess my Shalom bias comes first because my wife is also teaching aerobics class downstairs and I'm here giving a share. So I could have been very firm until Tyro comes first. And I, I guess I was in the end, but at least I went to sort it out a bit. Okay, so Omar of Asi, Omar of Shur, Belay, Shur, Bakafra, Korosun, Shabbatar, Bameya, Oshlein, Lurim, Dua, Elam, Israel, Bashela, Dixiv, Beloka, Hakoin, Esra, Bashela. What's going on? Look at Rashi over here where my curse is. 
Zeruach shall ail, it's referring to the ram of a nazir, who ha morimimenu, it was waved around, and this arm of the of this of this animal was given to the koyan to eat. But and it was forbidden for a non koyan for a zara to eat it. But and the rest of the ram the of I think the red light froze, so let me text him. Oh, oh, here he is. Sorry. No worries. You've got this part of the ram that's forbidden to be eaten by the Israel, yet it's still cooked together. So how could you cook a non-kosher piece because vis-a-vis the Israel, he can't have the arm of the ram, there's the ram that they were offered up as part of his atonement of his Nazir process. And whilst he was, when they cooked this ram, the Gemara tells us they cooked the part of the leg, which was only meant to go to the Kohen, together with the rest of it. And the rabbis get very excited, because one second, you can't, surely, the taste of the part that's forbidden, which is akin to non-kosher food vis-a-vis this Yisrael, this Nazir, it's going to be cooked with the rest of the animal. And the taste of that forearm or the taste of that part of the nazi, which should only go to the kohen, is going to go straight into the rest of the animal. So how could that be? There's taste and taste is forbidden. You can't have taste go from one to the other. This part of the animal can only go to the kohen. The, the, the czar or the non is not allowed to eat it. In my aisle means it was all cooked together. So then the rabbi said, if you look at the ratio, I'm going to go to the Gemara that says that. One who says Shishim, he says, if you look at the amount there's usually of meat and bones in this part of the animal, with the ratio to the rest of the animal, that's 60. The one who says there's a hundred, Savari holds. We ignore the bones because it's not clear whether either they can take in taste or they can give out a bad taste. We work it out. He gets to 100. And what you see from the Gemara is they looked at this as the prototype. And they saw that there was part of the aisle that was forbidden, yet the Israel was still allowed to cook that together with the rest of his animal, of the animal that he was allowed to eat. What about the taste? Says the Gemara, if you're a 60 man, work it out. It's obvious. Look at the amount of meat and bones that are in the part that's forbidden, vis-a-vis the amount of meat and bones that are in the part that's permitted, and you have 60. I'm not going to be exact, obviously, right? But it's a figure that obviously they normally got, and it was 60. And therefore, we see the figure of 60. Now, you can ask, this is Eimavadon Esol Lechatchilah, they wouldn't be allowed to do bitul on the isor intentionally. And that's discussed later on in the Gemara. But what we're interested in to carry on, on our quest to understand the source and the ramifications of 60, is this the first time we see in the Gemara where the figure of 60 comes from. I know where we started off by saying, Acharei Rabim Lahatot, go in the favor of Rav, the majority, and that applies to Sanhedrin, that applies over here to kosher food, that applies to zvachim, to animals that were mixed up one in the other. Majority, I have, and majority is not, a, is not a number. Majority is an idea, and that can apply. Two pieces of meat, one is to two kosher, one non-kosher, I get majority. 60 is an arbitrary number. Why would you choose 60? And I don't worry, because we have a story of the ayel, of the nazir, the ram of the nazir that was forbidden. And they took what was forbidden to the non-kohen and cooked it with what was permitted. You can't cook kosher 
kosher with inverted commas with non-kosher? No, you can. Because if you work it out, says the rabbis, either 100 or 60, let's stick with the 61, there's 60 times meat and bones in the part that's permitted against the sick against the meat and bones that are um, um, against the meat and bones that are forbidden, and therefore that's where we get the number of sixty. Now, many of you may, may be thinking, "Well, that's very strange," because first of all, why in the previous Gemara when we discussed sources for taste, didn't we bring this source? This is a pretty good one, and also, second of all, this is type with type. It's not really the taste that we're used to talking about. It's min bamina. It's type with type. And it's not type without a type. Sorry, with, with a different type. And also, where is it really tell us in this Pasuk that we should go after 60? Maybe over here it was 60. Maybe even less would be okay. Maybe you need one in 20. Just happens to be over here you had 60. And it's strange to presume that 60 was a binary figure that you needed. And most Rishonim say you're right. And 60 is an idea. 60 was something they understood. 60 was a safety net. 60 was most foods, if you have 60 to 1 against them and they were cooked together, the taste will be eliminated. Not that you must get to 60. Don't forget, you must get to right. If you don't get to arrive, it's completely trafe. You're eating completely trafe. 60 is a very radically different idea. 60 says Tysbus, let's go through it. Love Drusha Gomorrahi. It's not a complete regular Drusha that we know that teaches us Torah rules. Lemelef Minei to learn from here. Leinia Mimbusha Mino to learn type without type. The Tam Keika Daraisa. And it will also be a source that Tam Keika, the taste is like its main, is from the Torah. Type with type, you don't have to worry about taste. You can't taste anything. You just have to worry about the fact that you've got kosher with non-kosher. It's batal barav. 60 or an 100. It was a tradition. It's an asmachta. They hanged it. They put it on. They associated it with, however you understand, I'm sure this Chabura has discussed the concept of Asmachta before. But Asmachta means there's deeper, more spiritual understanding of, of, of Asmachta, that this was Hashem's intent when he wrote the Torah and who was waiting for the rabbis to reveal it. And there's more rational understanding of Asmachta. The rabbis wanted to put their understanding of the mitzvahs onto some psukim in the Torah. There's a ritva in Megillah or in Rosh Hashanah that discusses, I think, these views. And they put it in, arrested it on this pasuk. It's not a real drasha. And that changes the course of the next part of the shay. Rive, majority I need. 60, unless you're a Rashi student, you don't actually need. Rashi seems to say you need to have 60. And even if you taste, there's a ratio of 1 to 30. And you have a bit of bacon that fell into your kosher meat and you taste it and it tastes nothing. You can only taste the kosher meat or it fell into your potatoes. You don't know where it is. You can only taste the potatoes and no meat. If there's not 60 there, there's a presence of tam everywhere. You've got to get rid of it. That's Rashi. The Shulchan Aruch, the Rambam, Toysavos, most Roshonim don't understand 60 in that way. They say 60 was an ideal. 60 was a safety net. 60 was the rabbis understood that if, if you're worried about taste and you think one's fallen into the other, you're going to have taste of non-kosher food, get to 1 to 60, kibbas of a kafu, as we say earlier, and you'll be okay. If you still taste it after that, you've got a problem. But you're safe to eat it at that point. So non-kosher taste food falls into your food right before Shabbos, or milk falls into meat, or a splatter of milk is coming up to Shavuos. And don't forget, you're allowed to use your stove for both meat and milk. It's completely mutter, right? There are some people who are machme not to, but generally speaking, it's, it's completely mutter because there's fire and taste being burnt away the whole time. Induction stoves are um, slightly more complicated because they're flat and things can, can sort of spill from one over onto the other. They don't get boiling hot. 
But a regular gas stove, let's talk about, you're cooking both on, but then you're frying your cheese blintzes together with making your pickled brisket. And the, a splatter will go from one onto the other. So what are you going to do? It's all trave. Okay, there's not even one to 60. There's not so much brisket juice. It fell into the juice. And quite a few splatters came in. So how are you going to permit it? So most people will just be scared and chuck it out if you're careful for meat and milk. Because even if we listen to the shir now, we're not going to remember it at the right time. And you're not going to have time to start remembering it unless you're like an expert. <laughs> people, if you're scared, if you're not such a year actually, maybe you'll just eat it and hope for the best and say, listen, there's Yom Kippur coming. And if you are a bit more, then maybe you'll be careful. But it's unlikely you'll remember exactly what to do. But really, what happens if you just taste it? Or if you ask a non-Jewish person who's allowed to have meat and milk to taste it? But there's clearly a rate less than the ratio of one to 60. Then what would you do? I would say it's okay if he says it doesn't taste of meat or milk in this meat anymore. But let's move on. Look at the Rambam. Way, surely the, the other way around this would then be a problem. So if it's more than one, if it's one in 60, but you can still taste it, surely you... you... Yeah, that's true. I can't, I can't see where, who it is, I'm sorry. It's, it's okay, whoever it is, doesn't make a difference. Yeah, you're right. If it's the other, if you could taste it, it may be only forbidden midurabanan according to the shach and the end of Simon Tzadikhes, but it's definitely forbidden because the way to simplest way to understand that is because the taste is an identification of the isor and therefore the bitul is ruined. So yeah, that's 100 percent correct. Dava asor shenit arev Look at the Rambam mim Something forbidden that was mixed with something permitted, type without its type, it's all about the taste. Type without its type with meat, let's say, meat with potatoes, you've taken out the meat, you saw it was non-kosher, now there's taste everywhere. But not ten tam, there's no mention of 60. Taste it. 60 he does mention much later on, but that's not what you need to do. How are you going to taste it? So you have to ask a non-Jewish person to taste it, you can't taste it. Or if it's milk with para, then you can taste it if you want to mix it then with meat. But generally speaking, you have to ask something called the kfela, as we'll see in a minute. Or member mina, type with type, kosher meat with non-kosher meat, that can't, you can never find out it's time. Then what happens? You batel barov. Majority is okay. Taste was about taste. Even if there's a presence of it, so everywhere, if you can't taste it, it's okay. Okay, says the Bet Yosef, Rambam, the Parak um, on source seven, the top line, Parak Tesvav, Nira, it appears, anything that's not in its type, you can d- determine it by its taste, you have to get a non Jewish person to come in and taste it. If it has its taste, the person who just commented before, this is your comment. Even if there's more than 60, I saw. This is what I want. And if he says there's no taste, even if it's less than 60, it's permitted. Shishim wasn't a number you've got to get to. Only when you can't determine the taste. Maybe there's no non-Jewish person around. Or he gives an example of min, amino, and ein amino, which is discussed later on in this siman, which we're not going to discuss now. But the Rambam, according to the Bet Yosef, and the Kesef Mishnah, well, I guess it's the same, right? He says that Chishim is an idea, is to get to if you, if you can't determine it yourself. If you're one in 30 in these blintzes on Erev Yom Tev, and you get a kfeila, a non-Jewish person to come and taste it, he's allowed to, it's permitted. And that's what we're pasek in the Shulchan Aruch. Isor shanit arev beheta. This is Shulchan Aruch, Sadiq Ches 1. Isor that's mixed up in heta. Min b'she'ina minor, type without its type, two different types. Nochelev, fat shanit arev basal is mixed with meat. Yitamenu goi, the non-Jewish person can taste it. Im omer, if he says, She'ein batam chaylev, it doesn't taste of fat. Oh, she'amah, she'yesh batam, always says it does taste. Ela shehu pagum, only it's a bad taste. It's not a taste that should be um, forbidden, it's permitted because it's bad. 
mutar is permitted. As we'll see in another time. Now look at this. He's, he, he can't know they're relying on him. Because if he knows they're relying on him, then he might trick them to say that it does or it doesn't taste. And we'll discuss that now in a second. If there's no one there, like we saw, has tasted, then work out in 60. If it's type with type, you can never determine if there's two pieces of meat. One is nevela and one is kasher. You're not going to be able to work it out. You can use 16, but 60, and if that's the only thing you've picked up from the shir, then that's enough. Because but, but Rav is something you've got to get to. According to Mas Rishonim, 60, you don't have to get to. You could do it yourself. You can taste it yourself. How are you ever going to taste it? What if it's truma? You can give it to Israel to taste if you're a Kohen. You can give it to a Kohen to taste because he's allowed to have truma. Otherwise, you get a non-Jewish person on the scene who's allowed to taste. And then you don't have to worry about the maths. If maths is not your thing, then work out the taste. So says the Rambam, says the Machaber, says the Shulchan Aruch, non-kosher that spills into kosher, get a kfeila. Ve'ein, says the Ramah in the brackets, Ve'ein nohagim achshav lismoch agoy. We don't nowadays rely on the non-Jew. Umasharinan hakol b'shishim. And we work out everything with 60. And it looks like for the Ashkenazim, we are saying that you always need to have 60. Again, we said, Rav, you've got to have 60. Of course, the Rambam is an idea. Rashi seemed to say, I'm sorry, I didn't actually go through with this earlier. If we have time, we'll go back. Rashi seemed to say, you need 60, come what may. And even if you taste a bit of food, and there's, but, but there's a ratio of 1 to 30 or 20 or 40 or 50, you need to get to this binary figure of 60. And so to speak, the bittle number two is the bittle of taste. Just like there's a bittle of majority for two pieces, there's a new bittle, the bittle of taste. The Rambam didn't understand like that. 60 wasn't the bittle of taste. 60 was the maximum you usually get. It's unlikely that after 60, you can still taste it. But Rashi says, no, 60 you've got to get to. And it looks like the Ashkenazim is saying that the Ramah says that too. Umasharinon hakal bashishin. You always have to work out 60. But even that is not because he says you always need to have 60. And Rabbi Kiva and I've seen, I remember in the past, people saying, well, because a lot of this is about whether you could trust non-Jewish people at the time. And people were saying that the Sfadim had more um, integration with the non-Jewish people, and therefore they would be able to trust them if they would taste, whereas the Ashkenazim in Poland and Poland were always being abused, and therefore they wouldn't be able to trust them. I, I don't think that's correct at all. And if you look at any of the mainstream commentaries, they take it away from this kind of discussion. And says Rabbi Kiva Eger, even the Ashkenazim would say you can taste it. And even if there's a ratio of less than 60, it's permitted. So why are we not accustomed to rely on it? So if you look at the, this is probably the hardest source I'm going to do today. So if it's, um, it's hard, not because I'm underestimating anyone's intellect, but because it's hard to do it in the time space that we have. So that, that's all. I'm going to go through it anyway. We don't now are accustomed to go through to say 16. I don't know the correct reason for this. Why are you not noheg like that? Most of the Rishonim said you can. Maybe you can say it's not that he, the Rashi, that the Ramah said, like Rashi, you've got to get to 60. He didn't like taste. But, but there's different reasons as to how you believe this fail of this non-Jewish taster. And we're chashesh, we're concerned for either of these two reasons. And I'll explain. The Anon Chashinon Lechumrat Kol Hashitot. The Ramah is just being extra kept in covering all his bases. Because when someone's believed, there's always different reasons why they're believed. There's rules of witnesses. There's rules of Eidech Nemon Bi Surin. One person is believed with things that are forbidden and permitted. Two people that believe. You get married with two people, with two, with two witnesses. There's loads of different reasons why you believe certain people. And here we're going to be introduced to two types of beliefs. 
One's called Mesiach Lefitumah, and one's called Mirtas. I'm going to start with the latter, because that's used across the Kashras world. How does a Mashkiach work? Why, why does, if the Mashkiach goes into a restaurant in the morning, and he comes back a few hours later, that may not be the best Haksha. I guess it'll be better if someone's there the whole time, when the people, you're more likely to be assured that there's not going to be any non-kosher food being put in the food, but it still works. And the reason it works is because of mirtas. It's because the people dealing with the food are concerned that this mashkiach will come back. Here we use mirtas in a different way. We say if there's something called a kfela, a taster, then this taster doesn't want to ruin his job by saying the wrong taste. So it seemed to be that when you invite this non-Jewish person into the kitchen to say, come and taste my meat, does it have some cheese blints in it or not? If it doesn't have the taste in, I'm okay. 60, nah, it's fine. That was just like the maximum. But I'm okay if you taste it. I'm not going to go into the mats. But it seemed to me they wouldn't, according to most Rishonim anyway, just believe this of just like that. I've got to have a way that I know that you're saying the truth. And if I don't have a way of knowing you're saying the truth, I'm not actually going to believe your testimony and I'll throw the food away. Now, there's two we discussed, but interestingly, says Rebekah both need different sets of criteria and they're mutually exclusive, which means both these ways, these reasons to believe can't actually work simultaneously. And because they can't work simultaneously, it's either or, let's just go to 60. Let me explain. That's hard. Let me explain to you what I mean. One is meritus. Meritus means that you invite this failure into your kitchen and he's a professional taster. And he knows that you're relying on him for the taste. He knows not to lie. And he's meritus. He's scared to lie. Oh, we like it when there's a bit of scare. Because when there's a bit of scare, we know there's trust. Because people don't want to lose their jobs. Just like the people in the kitchen don't want to lose their jobs, therefore they're careful even when the mashkiach's not there. So too, as well as that, this kfeila, this professional taster, who hangs around the Jewish neighbors because everyone always gets on Arab shvuas, the milk mixed up with the meat. He doesn't want to lose his job. He's the classic kashras guy, right? So you have the Shabbos guy in some neighborhoods. This fellow, I guess, is the kashras one. And he comes to people's houses to determine and to taste. He doesn't want to lose this job. It's well paid. It's a cozy living. It's very well. The Jews need to have their meat afterwards. So he's never going to lie. Because he knows if he says that there's no non-kosher taste in him, and you give it then to your wife or your husband, and there is, they'll be so annoyed, he'll get a bad name, he'll never be called back. That creates a belief. And that creates, in Hebrew we say, a nemanus. That's one. There's another belief which we discuss in, in the Gemara, which is Mesiach Lefitumai, which means because we're worried maybe he's going to take the mix, we are worried that he won't really care about your kashras. Therefore, we don't allow him, we don't say, excuse me, can you please tell me the taste of this food? We say, why didn't you come for a party with us to partake in this meal? And then by the by, he might reveal what he feels it tastes of. Now, those two can't work together. Because if you ask the person clearly, and you say, can you tell me what the taste is? That's not Mesiyach Lefitumai anymore. And if you don't tell him, and you are Mesiyach Lefitumai, then he's not scared because he doesn't know that you're relying on him. And therefore, because we're not sure which one of those reasons it is, we go to Shish and we go to 60. That's the nine is an independent piece of information just because it always bothered me that people misunderstood this machlokas and they said it was more of a cultural thing. If it's too hard, and I apologize, again, just because of the time space that we have. I'm going to go over it inside. If not, please look at it later because it's a beautiful piece of Torah. Says the Ramah, we don't do 60. I've got how many minutes left? About five, is that fair? Yeah, okay. I don't know the correct reason. What, what, what are you telling me to go to 60? Can I need a binary figure? No. Maybe you could say, we're scared. 
for every way to believe this non-Jew. What does that mean? I'll explain this to Rabbi Kiva Ega. To Chashinon, why do we believe? Dilma Kfeila, when the Gemara said you asked the Kfeila, he says it by the by. And we trust his knowledge in the food. But the reason why you believe him is because he said it by the by. And if so, if he doesn't say it by the by and you ask him, those rabbis will say it's not permitted. I don't like the scare one. I want him to say it by the by. If not, he's going to trick you. If he says it by the by, Duncan and Martin, they don't permit it. We're scared. The belief is not based on by the by. We only use that when someone's an aguna and their husband's out of town and someone says by the by that I saw him die. But I had to take and the permission of this taster, Mitam Loimara Umnasa doesn't want to ruin his job. Or Beino Dafka, we need specifically that he knows what's happening. And therefore, he's challenged. And we don't know which one of these belief systems we should go like. So the Ramah, in his, he's machmeh. Does he not forget the whole tasting? Not because I believe that you can't go below 60, but because the reasons why you believe this non-Jewish kvela, I'm unsure of. And they can't work together. Is it Messiah Khafitumai, and therefore you don't challenge him because he doesn't know you're asking him? Or is it challenging him, therefore it's not by the by? I don't know which one. They, they're mutually exclusive. They can't work simultaneously. So leave it just to 60. But not because you need 60. Look at these last words. Rashi to, to compare 60 to Roy. So they're both binary figures. It's not going If so, then the Jewish person should never be able to taste. We know that can be true. The Jewish person can taste. There is such a thing as Te'ima. Because this failure, it's about trust. We don't trust this non-Jewish kveila, but a Jewish person can. So it can't because we're really inherently bothered with tasting below 60. That's the end. And there's two parts which, I, if I'm invited back, I would speak about again next time. These are they. We've said bittel, we've said shishim. This shishim is an ideal. There's two. Ex- there's many exceptions, but the two ones I thought maybe we could discuss another time are marmid and non-kosher cheese, which means. You have a non-kosher rennet, and it's although nowadays with all the vegetarians, you don't really have animal rennet which hardens cheese. You have vegetarian rennet, but it's irrelevant. Cheese is still non-kosher because they, it was like a very extreme gazera they made, which can never be abolished until we get another Sanhedrin to abolish that one. Now, you have the percentage of rennet related, related to the rest of the cheese is very minute. It's tiny. It's very small. Yet the whole cheese is still forbidden. And nothing's permitted. Why is that? You're above 60. Is it because you can taste it? You can't taste it. No one ever bites into a bit of hard cheese and says, oh my gosh, that was delicious rennet. Or rennet. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm sorry. Imhamed Gavina, look at number 10. Ba'or kevas kashera with the skin of a kosher, of the stomach of a kosher animal, yesh tam basa, if it's got the taste of meat, asura, bimlav, teres, if not, it's muta. And the shach explains why. Avul hamamid ba'or kevat nevela, if you take a non-kosher stomach of an animal to harden the cheese, betrefa, or behematmea, asur b'chol shahu, even a tiny bit is forbidden. And why is that? You're above 60. You're one in 200. So maybe you, if you could taste it, no, you can't taste it. You're below the ratio of 1 to 60. You're above 1 to 60. So why is this non-kosher cheese forbidden? It's bitel. It's batel. Batel, there's definitely more than a majority. There's not even a taste. The answer is because it's not batel, because it's recognizable everywhere. And we started off the share by saying the essence of bitel is the lack of recognition. As soon as you can recognize something, it's not batel. Here you recognize the cheese is hard because of the rennet in it. And therefore, it's you can see that there's rennet in it. And I can't say something's batel if I could determine the reason why it's the shape that it is, is because of that. And if it's recognizable everywhere, it's irrelevant 60, 100, 200. It's not even batel. It's not even considered to be in a mixture because I can see where it is. 
And I would I just put in for lab grown meat. I, I know people have discussed this, Rabbi Penigsberg, I think that's his name. I don't know if he's spoken on here. He was a rabbi in London. He's just moved, he moved back to Eretz Israel. He he, um, he once discussed this when I talked to Montefiore a couple of years ago. And I, th- I don't want to quote him because I don't remember if he said this exactly. But from what I remember, with lab-grown meat, when they take a, a few tiny, tiny cells of actual meat and they use that to make a massive piece of meat, which is the meat of the future, let's say, that maybe would still be meaty. Oh, you'll say it's batel. There's a very small amount. It's above 60. It's not. Because the reason why the meat is meat is only because of that tiny part. And therefore, you wouldn't say it's, in, um, it's undefinable. And then finally, I think we'll leave number 12 for next time because it looks like we've, we've run out and that's its own little piece. Now, just to summarize before I stop, if you want to di- di- differentiate, which is the purpose of the shear, which is what Sina discussed, Batel Barov is a figure. It's 51%. Three pieces of meat, the majority. How you exactly work out the majority if you're thinking there are discussions of weight, etc. A majority, that's enough. Well, as soon as you cook something together and it's taste, and we see taste as a thing from the Gemarot of Basa we move on to very, very different kinds of discussions. There's a number of 60 given. Rashi says, that's just like majority. It's just a higher level. Most Rishonim say, no, that was an idea. And if you don't actually get to 60, you're okay. As long as you could taste that it's not there. It looks like from the Shulchan Aruch that the Ramah says, we need to have 60 always. But says Rabbi Kiva Egeth, not because he says 60 is the binary figure, it's because he's very uncertain about asking this this non-Jewish taster to come. He doesn't know which belief system to put, so to speak, onto him. And that is his leave it and just go after 60. And finally, we start off the shir by saying, Bittl is about lack of recognition. So when you can recognize in a ma'amid, when this is hard, the cheese, be only because of this small bit of rennet. It's not, not only is it not bottle the taste, it's not batel at all. It's not considered to be indistinguishable. And therefore, even bitul is not there. And therefore, you could argue with this lab-grown meat, is it parav? If it's from a non-kosher animal, is it kosher? It would never be batel because it's, it can, you can see it maybe everywhere within the piece of meat. Been a pleasure learning with you tonight. I hope I've been clear enough. Next time, please God in Yerushalayim. We'll see you in person. Shkoyach, cult of good night, everyone. Thank you so much, Pacham. Um, if anyone has any questions or comments, they can unmute, raise their hand, or they can write in the chat box. We have a question in the chat box from JH. He says, Isn't the Renit non batel bishishim? Because it is the determinate factor, whereas gelatin is not the determinate factor in, for example, candy, and therefore batel bishishim stands. Well, gelatin, according to father, could be mutter completely, as far as I remember. Anyway, but yeah, um, gelatin, yeah, that could, could be. To be honest, I haven't, I don't remember the discussion of gelatin. I know gelatin and Dova Hamamad are related. But if it's not Dova Hamamad, you have another problem sometimes with some cashless authorities of bittel isola chatchila. You can't create a bittel. And therefore, for example, you wouldn't be able to put gelatin into your own food. But otherwise... Um, you're right, I would say, if it's not the determining factor, you definitely have, it would be allowed. And if the non-Jew didn't make the food specially for you, that could be a reason to permit. Gelatin is like, you know, in the last century, they always argued about that. I guess we have different problems entirely as well nowadays. Like when I was young, it was always gelatin, yes, gelatin, not. I guess it's become slightly worse. But yeah. Right, similar to, yeah, that's why we were saying before, that we ever put that. And therefore, although Ashkenazim are generally more careful, Svadim, um, are more easygoing, and there were there were certain examples for that. Thank you, Chacham, for a wonderful class. Well, it's nice to be called Chacham because you know I just feel I'm feeling validated with that. I'm usually Hakam, but either way, all right. There's any, another any question. Any other questions? Uh, JH asked another question. What are the Chacham's thoughts about the Pitre Teshuva about those who don't accept one sixtieth being equated to heresy? Is that from Yeshua Ben Zadon? No. Because I think he threatened that he would ask me this question. He's a he, he's one of my students now. He comes to learn with us, a lovely, lovely guy. And he told me he's going to speak about. But just to explain the question again. Um, all I see is in the chat box, if JH wants to ask it and elaborate, simply, what are your thoughts about the Pitre Shuva, who says uh, those who don't accept 160th is as uh, if they're heretical? Yeah, I would agree with that. I would, yeah, I would, I would say so. Um, 
yeah, I don't remember that Pitzchit Shabbat. I'm trying to remember the actual argument. A, it's not just an argument about taste. It's an argument about Bitul Barav as well. So Bitul Barav, it depends on whether you say the concept of Mit Hapech, the food has actually changed to become Motar. We discussed in the beginning of the shit, it hasn't necessarily changed to become Motar. That Pitzchit Shabbat, I don't remember, so I'm not going to comment on it. Mm-hmm. Unless it's not recorded, then I could just make up anything, I guess. But if it is recorded, then, you know. Uh, Eric? I'm good. I'm good, sorry. It's interesting going, you know, a little bit out of halakha and into the, you know, the, the a little bit more philosophical, but the fact that halakha does allow for bitul sort of undermines this idea of, like, the tam of kashrut as being, like, uh, like, a, like a poison. You know, the people who view it as mamash, like, oh, it's dangerous and it's a poison. If it's actually, like, viewed as that, as it's, like, harmful to your soul, then we don't have a concept of bitul. You know, you wouldn't say, oh, it's batal b'shishim by a little bit of rat poison in my in my sandwich. So this idea, halakha is concerned almost of, like, the human experience of eating it more than what's actually literally there. Yeah, I hear. I agree. So it's hard. It's hard to understand like that. I mean, with the rabbinical rule, it's much easier. We never say such a thing. But, I mean, not, not we never say, like the Meshachachma explains that, that all rabbinical rules aren't inherently bad. They're just, the reason why you have to keep them is simply because the rabbis have instructed them. It comes from Lot Hasor, not so much from, and Hashem wanted the Jewish people to be united in the way they kept the mitzvah. Whereas if it's a Torah rule that's inherently bad, if it's actually, what do you mean by poison though? Could, could you clarify a bit more? Sure. Um, I think like people have this sort of feeling that oh, if, uh, you know, it's a suit, it's 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 a harmful to your soul, to your body. It's mitamten etalev. So you should try to stay away as much as possible from it. And if we can be machmir on it, then then the better, you know, because and they a lot of times they do equate it to like oh, it's non not kosher food is poisonous. Just, yeah, I, I don't quite know this. I know the Ramban who explains kashrut. That, um, but I, I, I don't know exactly what you mean. But even them, it could be those people would also agree if it's one in two hundred, then you would have say it's not so it's not so recognizable anymore. Maybe bitul just it gives you a majority. The majority is enough to have this semi poisonous state. But I agree with you inherently. It's hard. It's it's a hard one to understand. But there's, I remember learning this once. I just can't remember the two sides of it to comment offhand. I'm sorry. Even yeah. this, I, I I don't know why I agreed to teach this because I'm. I've learned this years ago, and, and a lot of it was from memory. I just hope it was... Uh, so I, I don't remember exactly the two sides of that argument. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think we'll... Okay, love that top, everyone. Nice to Thank see you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for coming. No problem. We'll you more times. And everyone, uh, stay tuned for Wednesday. We're going to have Rabbi Simi Lerner and Rav Hirsch in conversation with Harambam. Very exciting. So that's, that will uh, be more philosophical. That, that if, if Halakha got to you tonight... And Similana will definitely take you, I guess, the other way. We cover everything here. He's, he, no, no, <laughs> I'm just saying he's, he's, he's great. He used to work for us in London. All right, Kalto, see you guys. Bye. Bye.